The craze was based on an ancient Mayan calendar that apparently predicted the end of the world to be on December 21st of 2012. There was a lot of hoopla leading up to that date and year, if you remember. Well, a certain cartoon entitled The Mystery of the Mayan Calendar Revealed tells the real story. One Mayan is holding a large round calendar hewn into a rock saying, I only had enough room to go up to 2012. A fellow Mayan retorts, ha, that'll freak somebody out someday. <laughs> but on a more serious note, the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard tells a parable of a theater where a variety show of many acts is, is taking place. Each show is more fantastic than the previous one and is applauded by the audience. Suddenly, the manager of the theater comes forward. He apologizes for his interruption, but the theater is on fire, and he begs his patrons to leave in an orderly fashion. The audience, however, thinks this is the most amusing show of the evening, and they just cheer thunderously. The manager again implores them to leave the burning building, and he is again applauded vigorously. At last, he can do no more, and the fire races through the whole building and the fun-loving audience with it. And so, concludes Kierkegaard, will our age, I sometimes think, go down in fiery destruction in the applause of a crowded house of cheering spectators. Now, brothers and sisters in the Lord, I have always been fascinated from probably my teenage years with the book of Revelation, and so much, not so much really, because of you know its apocalyptic and mysterious messages and imagery, but because after the Gospels themselves, there is no other book in Scripture in which Jesus Christ speaks more. Have you ever seen those Bibles where they have the words of Jesus in red? You've seen those, right? Well, take a look and you will see just how many words Jesus speaks directly in the Apocalypse. But what is he saying? To whom is he speaking? And this is what I would like for us to reflect on and focus this morning. As much of Revelation is a book of prophecy, as the evangelist John says it is, what is often forgotten is that it is also a letter, a letter addressed to seven churches, like ours, a parish in Asia Minor. And remarkably, it is a letter directly from Jesus Christ to those churches. We read in chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, the following. I, John, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, to Theotira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. 
Those are the words of Christ telling John, these are addressed to those churches. The entirety of the following two chapters are Jesus' words to those churches, either praising them or admonishing them. So let's listen carefully to just some of the things Christ has to say to those churches for our own edification. To the church in Ephesus, he spoke, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear evil men, but have tested those who call themselves apostles but are not, and found them to be false. I know you, I know you are enduring patiently and enduring for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then, from what you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Here we see that the church in Ephesus is tirelessly struggling to keep the pure faith in the midst of persecutions. And Jesus praises them for this. But their first love, their initial zeal and fervor of faith has grown cold, he tells them. They have become complacent, and he tells them to repent. He calls them to good works, to put their correct faith into correct action. Now to the church in Pergamum, he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith even the days of Antipas, my witness and martyr, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold heretical teachings, who eat food sacrificed to idols, and practice immorality. Repent. Here again, Jesus commends this church for its fidelity to himself, even naming their bishop, Saint Andipas, and praising him as a martyr. But the church is not entirely pure, for he calls out some members as still practicing idolatry and immorality, and he exhorts that church as well to repentance. Finally, as an example to the church, in Sardis, he says, I know your works. You have the name of being alive, and you are dead. Awake and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death, for I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and what you heard. Keep that and repent. If you will not awake, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their baptismal garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Oof. Not much praise at all for this church, even though Jesus does identify a few of the faithful who have not stained the purity of their baptism. His main criticism here is that they think that they are living 
as a vibrant church, when in fact they are dead or at least on the verge of dying. They must recall their initial Christian origins and wake up, he says. They ought to adhere faithfully to the gospel message they once received and live in accordance with that gospel. The Lord's words are very reminiscent of what St. Paul said this morning. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. Now, having listened to just a few of Jesus' messages to those churches of old, my beloved, we must ask ourselves, if Jesus Christ were to speak to the church in Minneapolis today, what would he say to us? What qualities would he praise, if any? And what would he want us to repent for? Just as each Christian must examine his or her conscience regularly to see if one is living according to the ways of Christ, so too should each church examine itself as a whole, as a body, as an organism, to see if it is keeping the perfect of Christ and carrying out his commandments of love and its mission in this world. Let us then not ignore the signs of the times in which we live and be like the ignorant spectators of Kierkegaard's burning theater. For we know the Lord is coming and we know how we ought to be conducting ourselves in this world, both individually and as a church. And if we are attentive to the words of Jesus Christ, doers and not just hearers, if we endure until the very end in faith and fidelity to God's commandments, the following promises will be ours, as the Lord himself promised to those in the churches of Revelation, as he said, to him who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To him who conquers, he shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and never shall he go out of it. He who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. O Lord Jesus Christ, our God, you who conquered sin, Satan, and death itself, make us fellow conquerors with you by the power of your grace and love for mankind, so that we might share in the promises you have given to us and reign with you unto the endless ages. For to you belong glory, honor, and worship forevermore. Amen. Right at this time.